0: a good idea. I am glad to be at the Gate Church today with you, church family. This is a good day. How many know this is a day the Lord has made? Every day is a good day. Sometimes you just have to get an expectation. If you're online today, thank you for joining us. Well, we're so happy to be together and thank God for what he's doing here at the Gate Church. I believe God has a word for us in our unsinkable series this morning, so I want you to get ready, get no notepad out, get your, get your pen out or your your, um, your device to take notes in your Bible. And let's just begin to dig into God's word today. Just before we do that, I want to I want to just pray for our Bishop and Pastor Kathy and pray over a couple of things. I just want to speak a special prayer of our team bishop is preaching this week this weekend at an anniversary service in kansas city and uh, i'm thankful for the apostolic call on our pastor's life come on can we all shout amen for that we recognize that prophetic call last night i gotta tell you i, I love bishop I'm, i'll share a little bit in a moment but he's been spiritual father for me He and pastor kathy have been watched over jennifer and i since we were younger than i am now i hate to admit that i am getting a little older a little more gray hairs and uh, they such a, they're such then such a blessing to our lives. And uh, he just steps into that office of just encouraging pastors and leaders. Last night, we were at a church of uh, friends, a uh, partners were ours just down the street, uh, actually a, a, a church led by an African couple, uh, Marvelous in Christants, and we dedicated that building. They just opened their brand new building, church plan of a couple of years, and they've got their own space. And I tell you, when Bishop steps into that, he steps into anointing. He just really uh, this challenged them and, and challenged my spirit, actually. So I thank God for what he's doing in Kansas City today. We want to pray over Pastor Kathy as well. We've got teams of people getting ready this week. In fact, this week, Bishop and Pastor Kathy, every year, they gather pastors and leaders from all around the country and around the world and they pray with them, and they just release that apostolic anointing on their life. They're going to be doing that this week. Uh, There's lots of things we didn't expect this year. Can I get an amen? Several things we didn't know was going to happen. But we're just responding in faith because we're not living out of fear. And we can't plan and expect for everything, but we just walk the next step in faith. And so that's what they're doing. Several of our team members there. uh, So I told them this week I'll do the transition. I'll open up. I'll close. I'll preach. And I'll make sure the church gets locked up. Amen. Is that all right? We'll just just handle the whole thing together. If you want to just join me, we'll lock the church up together i bless them bless pastor kathy i know we continue to believe for healing in her body i wanted to pray just real quickly i do have a word for us but i want to speak uh, over what we talked about there the transition that god is healing our church family several of our church have been dealing with uh covid they have uh, some some that are just kind of getting over that now but we are asking for healing and maybe you're joining us online some of my friends are online today uh, like i said most lots of my friends are staff members here and they are not here with me but I want to bless them today and pray over them. I want you to join me today that God is a God that heals and that he can deliver his church through even that, this kind of a sickness and our nation. So we're, we're agreeing with them. Let me say this. We're going to be wise. Come on, somebody. We're going to use wisdom. But we're not going to live in fear. We're going to respond in wisdom, but we're going to have to trust God in the midst of a trial. Come on, somebody. There's no way that we can plan for every aspect of everything. That's just impossible. We might as well get over that right now because whether it was coronavirus or last year when you were riding around in the car, it don't matter. There are things you can't avoid, but God still delivers. We're going to talk about that today. So let's just believe God for healing. Some of our our church family needs a major miracle, so we're praying today. Father, we agree. Will you lift your voice with me? Father, we pray today for our friends at home, those who are online who can't be with us. We lift them up in faith today. And we declare over them that God heals, that he delivers, and that he brings wholeness to their bodies. We pray over you today that, that fear is not Gripping your home, but peace and strength is coming to you in Jesus' name. We lift up our, our pastors today. We lift up Bishop Bishop Pastor Kathy. We pray God their physical bodies be made whole. Use them this week in a major way, God, to release healing and strength and encouragement to pastors and leaders all around the world. Because we believe that God is at work right here in the middle of 2020, and I declare this is a good year. Somebody said good year. This is a good year in Jesus' name. Can you shout Amen? Amen. And God bless you today for joining us. If you're online today, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read this. I think Pastor Joey's going to play there a moment, and I'm going to share with you today out of our Unsinkable series. We've been in a series called Unsinkable, and we're talking about, we're going through the, the story of Noah. We're using it as a launching point, but we're talking about how God is able to keep us afloat in the times when the flood comes. And we believe today that even though we're in crises, even though we're in a time of of trial or struggle, that God's keeping his church family afloat, that we're an unsinkable body. And so I want to read out of Matthew chapter 24. They'll show that on the screen behind me. And Jesus, it's an interesting passage because Jesus brings up the story of Noah. Noah is, you're going to read that in the book of Genesis. Chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, you're going to read through that portion of the actual story. And then Jesus makes reference to it in Matthew 24. And this is what he says. He says, and no one knows, verse 36, sorry, 24, verse 36. And no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. Verse 37, when the Son of Man returns it will be like it was in Noah's day. And look what Jesus says, in those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat or entered the ark. And people didn't realize what was going to happen Look at this, until the flood came and swept them away. And then Jesus says, this is the way it will be when the Son of Man. How many of you know Jesus is the Son of Man? He's talking about himself. This is the time, this is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Now, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 36 through 39, Jesus seems to be talking about what will happen. And a lot of times we take that as kind of a future last days reference. But I want you to look back at verse 33. Everybody look at me. In verse 33, Jesus gives us the interpretive clue about how to understand what he's saying. He says this, in the same way, when you see all these things, somebody say all these things. When you see all these things, all the trial, all the things that he's talking about, all the tribulation, all the flood, the crises, when you see that, you can know this, and I love this passage, you can know that his return is very near, somebody say very near, it's right at the door. When you see all of these things happening, don't be discouraged because it's very near. What's interesting is that they are actually happening then and Jesus is prophetically saying that when you see all this happening, know that my presence is available for you right now. It's very near, it's right at the door. Come on somebody. You know, how many of you realize you don't have to wait until one day for God to deliver? You don't have to wait until the last days for God to, to bring you out and to keep you afloat above the crisis, above the flood. God will do it in this day. Somebody say, in my day. in my day. David said, I would have doubted and feared and been discouraged if I did not believe, what? That I would see the goodness of God in my time. Somebody say, in my time. I want to say to you today that the goodness of God is near, and I came to tell somebody that Jesus is very near to you now, and he's right at the door of your household of faith. Jesus is right at the door of your household. Some of you feel like there's floodwaters coming in the door, and you're just trying to pack it back with sandbags, but I'm here to tell somebody today that the saving grace of God is at your door this morning. God is here to deliver today by faith. Amen? We're in this unsinkable series. I want to preach to you today about building an unsinkable family of faith. Building an unsinkable family of faith. And we don't normally do this of late. But if you've got an in-house family member nearby... I want, you to, I want you to high-five them and tell them we're building this ark together. If you're at home, just get up across the couch and pull off that blanket and high-five a, a family member. Say, we're building this ark together in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's somebody else around, you can just high-five them or give them a, a fist bump there. Thank God for what he's doing at the Gate Church. Let me just say this to you tell you the story maybe you recall this story that's often told about a man who was in his house and there was a flood coming into his his city and his area his neighborhood and and he was trapped inside the house during the flood and and he began to pray to God he began to say God I need you to rescue me and he prayed this prayer and he saw a vision, he says he says, as I prayed, I saw a vision of God reaching down a hand and delivering me from the flood. And so he had this vision and of, of the waters rising up and God reaching down and saving him with a mighty hand. And so he, he got his face stirred up and he began to believe this is how God's gonna save me. I'm, I'm gonna be delivered from this flood. And so a little while as the time goes by, the floodwaters began to rise even more and, and all of a sudden the the neighborhood started getting filled with water and his neighbor had a truck and his neighbor came up you to, to his house and beeped the horn and said hey come on out friend come on out get get in the truck we're gonna get away and be delivered from this flood and 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 the man looked at shouted out his door he said yeah i know the waters are rising but god promised me he was going to save me so so i'm good you can keep on going by so, so he just sent the truck on, and, and he kept believing God. He kept praying. Come on, yeah. he kept he kept saying, "I'm gonna do the right things. God's gave me a promise. He's gonna He's gonna save me." And so, soon enough, as you imagine, the waters began to rise a little more. They came in the door, and they flooded the whole front, uh, whole first floor. And so he had to go to the second floor. So on the second floor, he opens up the window and he's looking out the window because he's waiting for God to save him. Yeah. And he sees another friend come by and this time the friend's not in the truck, he's on a boat. And the water's just about to the second floor level and he's got the window open he's, and his friend says, hey friend, come on by, I want you to jump out the window here into my boat because I'm going to help you get away from this flood and we'll go to safer land. And he says, oh, that's all right, I'm good to go because, because God said he was going to save me from the flood, so I don't need the boat, I'm going to let the boat go ahead, because as God's going to save me from the flood, and so so his friend looks at him kind of crazy and says, well, all, all right, I'll just keep on rowing on, so he just rows on to safety, and well, as you know the story, the, the waters get higher, and they feel the second story and he's forced to go on the roof, and so here this man is that he's been believing God, he's been praying, he's been trusting God, And he's on the tip top of his roof, and then a helicopter, a rescue helicopter comes by, <laughs> drops down a ladder and gets out a mega, megaphone and he says, hey, hey friend, I'll drop down the ladder and you grab the ladder and I'll, I'll fly you over to safety. And the man says, oh, oh, no need, no need. I know I'm up here on the top of my roof, and I, I know it looks like I might be desperate, but I prayed that God would save me from the flood. I, I've got a vision. I, I've got a, a, a picture, a promise that God's going to save me. So, So you go ahead on because God's going to save me from this flood and so the helicopter moves on and you you know the remainder of the story that the floodwaters kept rising and they kept rising above the roof and swept the man away and and so the man perishes and he, he does land in heaven and he stands before God and he says, God I thought you were going to save me, I had a vision, I prayed, I did everything you, how does this sound familiar, I did everything you said for me to do and I still didn't get saved. I was out there desperate and you left me alone and God said, well, I sent a truck, I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter. What else could you want me to do? And the moral of the story for the church is this, is that God always, somebody say always, he always saves but sometimes his hand looks like the hand of a friend. It might be the hand of a neighbor. It just might be the hand of a brother or sister reaching out to you today and saying, let me help you in the storm. It just might be the thing that you thought God was going to do the way that God was going to do it is not the way that he has planned to do it. And so we brush aside God's attempt to reach us and to save us from the flood that we're in. Can I get an amen? If we've learned anything in 2020, it's this, is that we were made to be together. We thrive when we are reaching out a hand for another. We're, we're in an entire series in our our unhindered groups if you haven't done that I love you go online they'll give you a, those of you who are online you can see a link on how to get involved in some of our groups and my wife and I lead a group I know Bishop Pastor Kathy all of our team many of our team lead a group and one thing I've learned is is that during this time of being quarantined at times being separated from others I know to be the me that God's called me to be I need connection with others we're going through a series called Family Circus in our groups and bishops talking to us about one anothering, that we need one another in order to fulfill the purpose of God. and mean, you realize there will be times when you are in a struggle, but God will deliver you from your struggle if you'll just reach out to one another, but as long as we're stubborn And we're individualistic and we try to have a John Wayne approach to just pick our own self up and struggle our own way through. How many of you realize the devil is not always your problem? Sometimes you're your problem. Sometimes it's our stubbornness, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm the only hard-headed person in the the building today or online, maybe it's just me, but sometimes it's our hard-headed stubbornness that keeps us from hearing and, come on, seeing the hand of provision of God. And so we're learning to depend on one another. One of Satan's primary weapons in your life is to isolate you from others and destroy your peace. He will use crisis, let me say this, he will use, cri- sometimes we think the devil brought this on you. Let me tell you, you don't need a devil for crisis to happen. You, you don't need, an, it just happens. There are things that happen that just are out of our control. I, I'm, I don't know about the conspiracy theories running around, but sometimes bad things just happen. God is a sovereign God, but here's the thing we've learned about God's plan for humanity. When bad things happen, God enters into those things and He brings salvation. And so we've learned that that the enemy's plan for our life is in the middle of those crises to steal our joy. I don't know where you are today, I I know for, I just is praying this week, and this is really not any major revelation, but I know God's spoken to me, there are people online, that their peace and their joy is gone, because the enemy will use this crisis to take it away, and if we can't get our, our, our feet stable, our spiritual feet stable on solid ground, then we will forget that he is the God who saves. See, God's instructions to come into the ark in 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 Noah's story was that they come in by family groupings. You notice that? In Genesis, the story of Noah is, I want you to go out and bring them in in pairs. Let me say this to you, that the the theological takeaway from that story is not just about procreation. Let me just say God can create in all kinds of ways. God created the heavens and the earth. God created all of animal kind. God created all of all species. God can create in many ways. It's not just about procreation, it's about covenant relationship. God brought people, families, he brought pairs into the ark in covenant relationship. Why? Because that's the nature of God and that's how we're going to be saved. God brought us together in covenant covenant connection and there are people in your life that you need connection with today that you need a covenant connection with when we're how how many of you have ever actually had a crisis in your life that's everybody in the room's got because we're presently going through a challenge those you're online you've had a you've had a challenge you're going through a challenge right now at some point in time you're going to face that challenge but you don't have to predict it you You don't need a prophet to tell you that in an election year in America, things are gonna get tense. You don't need to be a prophet to know that at some point in time, somebody's gonna disagree with what you think or what you believe should happen and things are gonna get tense. I, I, I learned that the last election there was a there was a study shown that an incredible amount of I don't the percentage was thirty or percent or so of of people that were surveyed said that they stopped speaking to family members after the previous election. How many of you know that's not the will of God? That's a crisis that's going to happen every four years. Why? Because in a democratic society, we all think differently. We're very very good at being individual thinkers in our culture. So we're not going to agree on everything. But the enemy would use that crisis to divide us. And you don't need a prophet to tell you that. You just need to recognize that's the plan of the enemy against your life. You don't need a prophet to know that you and your spouse, you and your family are going to have some heated discussions. How many of you had some heated discussions before you got here? Put on our church smile. We, we have all had moments of tensions. If you've got a, anybody raised, raising or raised a teenager in the house, they, you're going to have some heated discussions. You're going to have some disagreements. The 15-year-olds, they know best. My son tries to help me know how the world works constantly. I'm just not a good student, I guess. But we're going to have disagreements. I'm not going to always see the world the way he sees it. But the enemy would use that to divide our relationship. So I don't need a prophet to tell me it's going to get hard sometimes. There's going to be tension sometimes. I don't need a prophet to know that Satan's primary job and goal is to destroy the family household. I want to say this though online today this is important we're in this unseekable series and i want to raise the flag and say that family households god's covering of our households are a primary target for division and if god can isolate us and get us broken apart and to tear apart our marriages and families he can he can uh, drain the church of the power of jesus christ Because God's power flows through the expression of love, and you can't have love where there's division. Come on, somebody. Let me show you, I don't know if they have this on the screen, but I'll read them off to you. It's just recent statistics over just this state. I know we have friends and family from all over the world that watch us online, but let me tell you about Oklahoma just alone. Just recently, statistics, the divorce rate in Oklahoma in this year alone is up 34% suicides are up a staggering 70%. Oklahoma itself is number one in the despair index due to depression and drug use. And alcohol sales are up 27% as a way of meeting the pressures and, the, and the, the hardships of this pandemic. Can I say that, that those statistics let us know that in a time of crises and trial, that there is a division coming into individual's lives to break them apart and keep us isolated and alone so that we can't depend on another. If you don't have anybody to depend on, then you'll break apart in your marriage. I had something someone share last night, a pastor talk about, and, and I don't share it too in my own life. If I didn't have somebody in my life that Jennifer and I could go to and share the struggles of our marriage, if I didn't have a hand to reach out to for help, then it would break apart my family. There's sometimes you need to call a friend. You need to reach out to the household, to, to the household of faith, to the family of faith and say, God, I need deliverance. I need someone else to help me. There are people online who have been trying to mitigate. Let me, how many realize we're trying to mitigate personal connection through social media, digital avatars? And they're just not the same thing. You might get encouraged when someone replies to your post, but it's not the same thing as looking someone in the eye and them saying, I love you, I need you, I'm for you. See, we got to learn as a a culture that, that continues to be modernized, we continue to grow. Technologies are not the enemy, it's how we allow technology to become the idol in our life. When you look to technology to try to solve an issue that is internal and organic to you, that's spiritual, it will never be the solution you need. It will only cause great havoc in your life. You'll continue to wonder, why am I unfulfilled? Why am I alone? Why can't I feel love? Because I've got 3,000 friends. They're just numeric friends on a, on a social media feed. I don't have, I don't even, but I got 3,000 digital friends, but I don't have one friend I can say, come and see me today, meet me today, call me today, let me know how I'm do, how you're doing today. See, we were meant for connection, and so, so we get desperate. And so those statistics right there prove to us that our world is in desperate need for connection. And let me suggest to you today that God's provision, His design for connection is the family. Now I'm I'm gonna expand that a little bit today, but I wanna just say as just a general foundation that you and I need to be a part of family and it can't just be some digital version. It's got to be a place where I can have flesh-to-flesh contact that I can look someone in the eye and they can say to me, you matter, God's for you, he's not against you. I want you to look at me, we'll show it on the screen, Psalm 68, 6 says this, that God places the lonely in families and he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. God's, God places the, the lonely in families. He sets prisoners free and gives them joy. Your freedom from your prison, or those of you online, those of you in our campus, is coming through a family, through placement in a place where you belong. And then look at the second part of that, that message there, that passage. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. What, what that's saying, translation is, is living outside of the family, living in isolation is like hell on earth. See, God's not trying to punish you by isolating you. You're doing that all by yourself. Come on, somebody. God's not trying to keep you from a family. Somebody, you might say, well, you know, my, my, my biological parents, they, they uh, abandoned me or maybe their past. I'm, I'm going to get to that in a minute. I just want you to know this one thing, that God's connecting you to people. He's putting you in a family covering. It's up to you to say, I'm not going to live in this place of isolation and be in a sun scorched land. God's purpose for me, according to scripture, is he's going to lift me up, come on, and he's going to place me in a family. He's going to put me in a group that's going to care for me and watch over me. Families, their husbands and wives, for sure, their kids. But let me just say this. The biblical word for family in Scripture in both Hebrew and Greek are translated often as the word household. Somebody say household. They're translated the word household. It's the word for family in scripture. It means that that it's not just an individual group under a roof. It means those who had been divinely connected. Watch this. Divinely connected to one another to experience and put on display the love of God. I'm going to say that again. The, The idea of a household of faith is that people that are divinely connected together to experience God's love and put that love on display for others around them. It's the persons, those persons that God has assigned to your life. See, God has assigned you to your life. Some of you gonna find, some people you find out God assigned you to your life because you gave birth to them. And they like it or not, they're assigned to you. And sometimes they don't like it. And sometimes I think the feeling's mutual. <laughs> oh, it's just me. Come on, somebody, you, maybe you're online. Maybe somebody online just knows. I, it ain't always, it ain't always fun. For those people that are assigned to your life, that's how you found out, because you birthed them, or they birthed you, or or they're your brother and sister. How many ever been to a family reunion? You're like, these people belong to me, I got no choice. How many people ever got married and you realize you didn't marry one person, you married all them people? All the peoples, all the husbands, careful right now, careful, careful I'm taking you into dangerous territory. You married all the people. You got them all because God assigned, you found out. Now, some of us, when we got married, we didn't find out until after we got married. But you found out that you were assigned to those people. But there are people also in your life that you didn't marry or you didn't birth and you weren't born by, but God has assigned you to them because they're part of your family now. I know in 1997-98, my wife and I were in college and we met Bishop and Pastor Kathy, and I didn't know that, I didn't understand it then, but I knew that God had assigned them to my life. Uh, some, some of my close friends right now, their they're closest friends, they've been that way since in the late, early, mid and late 90s, they've been friends in my life, some of them that are here serving with me in church, and I realized that God has assigned them to my life. No, what am I saying? I'm saying that I need them to fulfill my purpose and destiny. There are people in my life that are assigned up to me, there are fathers and mothers and mentors, and it's my job to go and find them. God will bring them to me, but it's my job to pursue that connection to build that family. If I'm going to have a family of faith, I can't just say it was just me and my crew. That's such an uh, an individualistic, westernized idea, of the family, that all I have to take care of, me and the people in my house. Can I say for the people of God, the scriptures tell us that the household is far beyond just the people you pay for their food this week or you handle their bills this week. God's called us to be in connection with others. There are people assigned to your life as you should be in their life, calling them, pursuing them, showing up where they are, Let me tell you, when I knew that God assigned Bishop Patrick in my life, I found out where they were going to be, and that's where I was. Because I realized God was connecting me. When there are people that are in my life now that are younger, and I know that they're assigned to my life, I make sure I reach out to them and say, come on over and have a dinner with us tonight, or come on to our house and let's spend some time together. Because I'm taking my assignment seriously, because there's something in me that they need, and there's something in them that needs to be deposited in me. Can I hear an amen? I need to understand the family of God is far beyond what I chose or got or got uh, or entered into but that God is assigned to me in a divine way and I need to learn to respond to that assignment in my life. It's a spiritual family. I want to read for you they may put on the screen I want to read for you this this uh, idea of what I'm talking about in in the early church this idea of household of faith. The household was far beyond just your husband, wife, and and kids. That's really, I'm I'm trying to take your mind off of that. It was a far expanding uh, ideal than than just understanding a household of faith as just being my my immediate family. And this is uh, from a book called uh, Making Room by Dr. Christine Pohl. And she says this, in the early church, God's household explicitly, watch this, explicitly transcended ethnic and cultural boundaries. Watch this. Worship, care, and hospitality in the early Christian households included believers from different political, ethnic, and socioeconomic backgrounds, and early congregations developed a translocal, trans ethnic identity. I can't think of anything more. Countercultural than our present culture, than this idea right here. But this is how the church started by transcending these political, ethnic, and cultural background barriers and saying, you know what? God's assigned you to my life. We don't look the same. We don't sound the same. Come on, somebody. We don't think the same, but you belong to me and I belong to you. I don't understand half the things you're saying. It don't make sense to me. And when you talk about that topic, I get so fiery mad. I want to cuss. I'm I'm just preaching. I want to go on Facebook and tell everybody just how dumb that idea is. But I've learned that I've got to hold my tongue because God's assigned you to me and there's something more important on whether or not you and I agree. i got a divine family and there's a deposit in you that needs to be deposited into my life. And so I can't ruin that relationship with you just because we're different. We've lived in a culture, I even, I read recently that even after all the recent um, upheaval and, and um, magnification of diversity, um, uh, of, of, of the idea that, that, that social diversity is here to stay and we need to learn to love each other, that homogeneous groups are less likely today to talk about it and engage in it than even before. That people are more resistant now after all the things that happened. Can I, I can only imagine that's one reason. I understand people don't always protest the way you want them to protest. But sometimes people are just trying to get their voice heard. And they don't know how else to say it. The response from the church should be, I love you. I'm for you. You are a part of my family. Let's. I, I, I love. I love the scripture and all of early church history. Talk really just says this. I love you. I'm for you. Let's eat. Right. Yeah, right. I, I'm, food solves a lot of problems. I, I don't know about. Maybe it's just me. Food solves a lot of problems, Carbs. Carbs mainly. I'm from the south, so get some biscuits going. Some honey and some butter. I came from home just 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 a couple of weeks ago. I had to travel back home. My mom sent me home with like 40 jars of preserves of every kind you can possibly think of. You know how you make preserves? Sugar. Basically sugar. That's how you make you take fruit and you add sugar and lots of it. And then you put it on biscuits. Can get, anybody else? Maybe online. Any any honey and biscuits and preserve or biscuit people online. Just give me give me some hearts, like Bishop says. Let me know. I I I realize that I'm not the same as everybody, but I want to find a way that even though I have something you need to contribute, that I don't have it all together, I need your contribution too. And that's part of being in the family of God. And I can't isolate myself and be individualistic and self-centered and survive the flood. You can't be self-centered, come on, somebody needs to hear this today, and survive the crisis that you're in. It can't be all about you. Why? Because you don't have everything you need. I I like to say that God will take something that he has for you, give it to someone else and intentionally keep it from you so you will go to them to get it. Somebody needs to hear that again. God has something for you that you need and you know it. See, we intuitively know that, but he will give it to somebody else so that you'll connect with them and that you will receive that gift. Because God's provision comes through hands and feet what so that theological term is incarnation he incarnates into our world that's the whole story of Jesus is God himself coming down and saying I'm gonna put on flesh and bone because this is how I do things this is who I am and this is how we're saved I have two reasons I want to share with you. Two, two, God places families together for two reasons. Let me share these with you. You can write them down. Number one, families are a reflection of who God is. Families are a reflection of the nature of God. By nature, God is a relational God. Father, Son, Spirit. It's not just some theological idea or doctrine. It is the very nature of God. They perfectly relate to each other. When, when in Genesis chapter 2, God says, let us make man. Let us make man in our image. He, he is the perfect expression, the perfect covenant, and perfect love. And so families are to be a reflection, come on somebody, a mirror of that covenant connection in heaven as it should be on earth earth. So in earth, our families come together because we reflect the nature of God. You didn't realize that, but when you are at your family reunion, you are not just putting up with people that aren't like you, and I might rub you wrong. You are expressing the love of God on earth. How many realize you can't really love until you don't agree? Maybe we should sit there for a second. We, You can't love until someone irks you a little bit or pushes your buttons or says something you don't like because love overcomes the resistance of division and diversity and, and my own preference and says I'm going to love you anyway and I don't, and listen people will know the difference between authentic love and you just saying saying that they will know the difference of you just saying well I love y'all anyway come on in the south we say God bless them Lord bless them It just means I don't care nothing for that person, but I I also don't want to be unchristian, so Lord bless him. Y'all, you're you're laughing because you know it. Lord bless him. No, we know the difference between inauthentic love because out of God, Bishop talked about this last week, we had in our Unhindered series that agape love is not self-centered love, it's self-giving love. It's self-sacrificing love. And that's the kind of love that bonds you can have phileo love, three three words, three words Greek words for love, phileo, and, uh, and eros, and agape. You can have I, I get along with you. Even I'm attracted to you. I love my wife. I'm attracted to her. But that love is not sustainable even for several hours. You can get infatuated for a while, but that dies off. I've got to have a drive on the inside of me that says I need you in my life. I agape you. I love you. And that's the nature of God. The second reason that we have families is because families are a primary expression, we've already said this, of his love and healing to others. So number one, families show a reflection of who God is. Number two, they're an expression of God's love to others. There's something about bringing people together, God's healing power, and that's what we need in this time. We need families that are online, families that are watching and are part of our family, our church family online and here in this campus. We need love expressed through the commitment of marriages, of, of husbands and wives, of, man, of, of dads and fathers and sons. We need some people who are looking for the, the isolated the alone and the abandoned and the orphaned and bringing them into the family. We need a church that goes out to the highways and byways and goes out to the hedges and brings and compels them to come and say, you belong, you're a part of this family. In Matthew chapter 24, in those days, Jesus says there's a flood coming in in um, in the story of Noah. Jesus says there was a flood coming and that people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. What what are we seeing there? We're seeing that people were going about their business, doing their thing, being self-focused, self-wanting, self-desirous, doing all the things that were on their agenda, and they missed that the flood was coming. They weren't aware that the flood was coming. How many times do we as a family, even under one roof, find ourselves as individuals under the same house doing our own thing, but not connected to one another, not realizing that a crisis and a flood is coming in the door? Somebody needs to hear that today. I'm challenged in my own life that even in my family of four, we can be four individuals on four devices in four parts of the house and disconnected and listen Jesus is saying and they didn't realize that the waters were coming in the door so we we get so this is when now from a pastoral standpoint when we pray for people people finally come to us we talk to them about uh, their marriages pastors are the same way sometimes the water is almost to the second floor by that point sometimes they're already on the roof by the time they realize that the flood was coming but how did we realize, How did we miss that? We missed that because we were out having our time, doing our thing, chasing my vocation, doing what my, what's in my life. How many fathers have re- missed the flood coming in their house because they were just trying to provide for their family. They were trying to have a, a career. They were trying to get more money. The greatest thing I can offer to my family is not better technology or a bigger house. It's to be present to them and to say, we're coming together as a family. We're going to pray together as a family. We're going to come together and join together and eat together because God is a God who saves and the enemy wants to divide us apart. I can't live an individualistic life all the time and be so self-focused because it misses the point of agape. I'm challenged. We are often caught up in the stress and the worry and the wantedness that we can't be present to ourselves, much less present to our family. I'm preaching to somebody today. I I know you had a struggle, you're gonna have more. Get ready, buckle up. You're gonna have more. The question isn't, are we gonna have to deal with the flood? The question is, are you gonna be aware it's even coming? And will you have the ark necessary to run into? as a home and as a household to keep you and to care for you. Genesis 7 says that Noah and his sons and his wife, and his wife's sons, the wives of his sons, all went with him into the ark, look at this, to escape the waters of the flood. See, Noah prepared a place for his family to escape, and he didn't just build a boat. He made a home for them to come together. I'm challenging you today that God has called the house of God to create households of faith. They're arks where people can run into them and be saved. You know what the world is looking for? They're looking for a church that knows how to build an ark during times of crisis and flood. Instead, they're finding individuals who are bickering and fighting and falling apart themselves and don't have the witness, come on somebody, to show the world that we serve a God that transcends this world, and He came to deliver. Chapter 7 verse 7 says in Genesis that they escaped, in other words, they made haste. I don't, know wh- I don't know who this is for. I don't know what you're waiting for, but the time is now. The time to secure your household, the time to build faith in your family, the time to bring people together in love is now. It is, it is time to escape the flood. I don't mean escape others. I mean bring everybody on the ark. Listen, can I say something to you today? God is not trying to bring a flood to destroy the earth. He is bringing an ark to save the earth. I will say it again, God's not the flood, He's the ark. Somebody got to hear that today. God's the Savior in the story. He's not the killer. He's not trying to come and destroy your life. He's saying, will you come on the ark? Will you be available and know that there is a need for the ark of God to call the family of God, the households of God. And verse 16 says this, and I love this, that God shut the door behind them. See, I'm not worried about it. If I'll just be faithful to love others, to serve others, and to bring my family together, then God's going to shut the door and keep the water from coming in. I can't do everything. You can't do everything. But God will shut the door of your house. I don't mean that from an exclusionary point. I mean he will guard your home. He will keep your family. If you're online today, God will keep your family right now in the middle of this storm. He will shut the door behind you. Proverbs 18.10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous, what do they do? They run into it. Come on, say run into it. They run to the name of the Lord. Jesus is the ark that saves. And if you run to it, you are saved. Let me give you these three things and then I'll just close and we'll pray together. I want to pray a blessing over homes today. And I want to talk to you about three things that are develop the qualities for an unsinkable family of faith. I'm, I know, and even this week, we've talked and prayed with people about their marriages and their homes, and we showed you the statistics. All over the world, people dealing with isolation and suicide. I'm telling you that God's going to restore. Somebody's got to stand up and say, God's going to restore families to the house of God. Yes. Somebody's got to stand up and say, division No longer. Somebody's got to stand up in election year and say, we will not be divided in this house right in the middle of politics and trying to figure out what's best for this nation. We will serve under the banner of Jesus together. I might not agree with you, but I love you. And we will not be divided by our differences. So what are the qualities of unseekable faith? Number one, write this down. You establish the habit of prayer in your household. Above all else, if you're going to have an unsinkable family of faith, you establish the habit of prayer in your household. Dads and moms, our children's need, our children need to hear us praying in our homes. Moms and dads online our, on our campus today, our 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 families need to hear us crying. They need to hear me speaking over my son. My son needs to hear my voice saying, you're a man of God. You're called by God. There's a destiny and purpose on your life. I pray faith over you, daughter. They need to see my wife and I grab hands. And let me say, can I say this? Those of us who have grown up in church life, not just around the table over the food. but, But praying for them. My wife and I have a habit. We went on our way every day dropping the kids to school, which we don't do. As often now, obviously we have different changes, but in the mornings we pray over them. And we pray for our family and they hear us pray. I'm teaching my family to call out on the name of Jesus so that when the flood comes, they'll recognize it's coming and they know, go to the ark, go to the ark, go to the ark. It's hard to break apart a marriage in a, of a husband and wife who regularly pray together. I don't know where you are. Maybe I'm going to speak to marriages just a minute. Wherever you are, some of you are mature in faith. You've been around a while. Wherever you are, you keep praying together. That's that makes for a hard bond to break. And you can't wait until the water is above the second floor to do it. Because because sometimes you're drowning, and you can't get out a word. Acts two, chapter two, verse forty-six through forty-seven said the church began in homes. And they prayed together and they worshiped together. Can I tell you that the church didn't begin in a building like this one right here. That's why, that's why we're in this different season. We're not concerned about that. Yeah, the church has to gather. But we're going to gather in all kinds of ways. We're gathering online, in families. But the way the church began was the families opened up their house and said, we're going to pray and worship today. Yes. That's how the church began in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says God added to them daily. So establish a habit of prayer. Number two, you have to make the home a place of refuge. You have to make your home and your household a place of refuge. We need to create homes that are safe places from the storms of life. Amen? Amen. There will always be tense seasons and stress, but we have to be protecting the peace of our home. Proverbs 16.4 says this, kind words are like honey, they are sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Some of you just have what a breakthrough if you just introduce kind words in your home. Some of you have a breakthrough in your family if you just say no more, no more of the divisive attacking language anymore. We can't hurt one another and call it fighting it out or working it out or disagreeing. We have to learn to, to have kind words that are like honey and that bring healing to our homes. One thing I, I love about my wife, and I just brag on her, she has always protected the peace in our home. And and th- those of you who've been around church a while, you know, in ministry, it can be an attack, any kind of t- attacks of the headship. You know, Bishop Pastor Kathy, they have, the, they have the attack right on them in our pastoral team. And so one thing she's always done is she protected the peace in our home. When we came home, we wanted to make sure, and that, 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 my wife and I, we have a very, egalitarian type of relationship. I cook and, and I clean. I grew up with three bro- two brothers and my dad and my mom weren't going to do all the work. So I cleaned. I learned to do the dishes. It's really not about what jobs you were doing. It's more about the peace that you declare in that home. It's about covering that home and saying, this is a place of refuge today come and you're welcome. Can I say this to you? You can make your home a place of refuge for others. There are people in your life that don't get an ounce of peace until they step across the threshold of your door. So our homes need to be a place of peace and refuge. I challenge you today to make that make that an intentional part of your home. This will be a place of love. You can, you can look at somebody and say, I love you. You can look at that person that walk in the door, I'm glad you're home now. Let's celebrate together. Let's be together. And this is the final thing. I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray over you. Those of you who are online, we're going to speak a blessing over you. The final thing is you need to learn to follow Jesus as a family. Learn to follow Jesus as a family. Some of our greatest, listen to me, some of our greatest lessons as people of faith will be when your family goes through crisis together. When you go through the flood together and you learn that Jesus delivers, that's that's the story of Exodus. God's family, you know God calls him his family, calls us his family. When he delivered out of Exodus, they learned together that God saves. Some of your children need a story about God delivering, and that's why you're going through a crisis right now. They need to have a memory in their line about when God saved us and delivered us. My wife and I, we talk a lot with our kids. We, some of our hardest times in life, we had, we had two miscarriages. Some of you have dealt with that and how devastating that was for our family. But we gather them around every once in a while and we remind them, this is what happened in our lives and God saved us. God brought us you. Because God's a God of miracles. And when we learn to follow Jesus together, we learn to run to Jesus together. If you're you're at home and you're near a family member, I just want you to grab their hand. If you're here in our campus and you can grab a hand, somebody that's in your house. Because, hey, if we're going to quarantine, we're quarantined together. Hallelujah. This is the crew we got, like it or not. I want to pray over you today. I want to pray over those online today that God would bring wholeness and strength back to our homes and that peace is going to reign and i want joey and the team to worship just a minute we're going to worship together we're going to make this our first act to this week to say we are a family worshiping together so, Father, I pray over my friends today. I pray over this church. over husbands and wives. I pray over you, men and women of God, husbands and wives, that as the enemy seeks to divide you, that there's a guard about your marriage. There's a guard about your word. Those online, you have dealt with devastation in your marriage. I pray over you today that God will heal marriage. I won't give up. We don't give up as a church. We pray over you. Some of you came online today or you came to this campus, you were fighting, and it's been a constant battle. But I pray soothing words over you, words of love. I pray the agape of God, the self-giving love of God, would surround and make your marriage whole again. I pray over children to their parents. I pray there would be a reunification, Lord, of broken bonds. I pray over my family, Lord, where there's been brokenness in sibling relationship and brokenness and parent-to-children relationship, that you would heal that in Jesus' name. I pray and agree with you right now. Lord, we pray that those who have you assigned to our lives, to our household, that they would come on into the ark today and be saved. Lord, show me how to welcome the stranger. Show me how to open my doors and show love and kindness to the one that's different than me because they're assigned to my life and there's something they have I need in me. I welcome them in today and I pray over them in Jesus'